Mortis Maledictum is a cosmic dark fantasy story, and as such may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. If you enjoy Mortis Maledictum, please join our Patreon page and our Discord community to connect with us and gain access to exclusive content. The links are down below. Now, enjoy the show. Every great while, the utterances of the world seem to skip a breath, and time uses the names of those born with a peculiar disposition and under a vile moon. In a country home near Naples in 1594, a sickly mother gave birth to twins. Their mother passed from this world almost as soon as they took their first gasping breaths to cry. The infants held a strange look, and in less than a week, their widowed father deposited them on the doorstep of a workhouse. No one knows the names their mother gave them, but harsh men split the pair up before they could crawl, giving them the names of Elias and Antonio. The world took every chance away from the pair, and the twins grew up with the emotional detachment common among the unwanted. Somehow, even with the world shunning them, they each proved their mastery of a field of scientific study. The two raised themselves up out of the muck and the rancid peasantry, each completely unaware of the other's existence. When a plague stormed through the streets of Naples, both set to work on finding a cure. Antonio had joined the priesthood and took the bodies of the dead to prepare them for the earth. He dissected them, looking for answers within the necrotic tissue. Elias studied substances which he hoped would block the miasmatic plague from entering a victim's body. Both brothers were ahead of their time, but despite their aptitude, the plague ravaged onwards, and both soon became desperate. One evening, the rain came in so heavy it blotted out the last vestiges of twilight. Antonio stood over a long wooden table, picking through an open corpse. Looking for the answer to the prayers of a city which had always reviled and rejected him. The rain shook the sill of a window he had propped open, hoping to ease the smell of the dead flesh from the back room of the church where he worked. Just there, under the lung, Antonio spotted something dark and slippery. He reached in and lifted out a minuscule bead of tarnished gold. He didn't know where it had come from, but its presence compelled him further. Weeks passed without another body like the one from that rainy evening until, at last, a new chance landed in his lap. Most of the city's doctors had now come down with the sickness themselves, and the same people who held Antonio at arm's length needed his unorthodox methods. They brought in a young woman who had died in a sudden violent fit. She, too, held a small golden bead under her lung. It sat right next to her heart, concealed in the structural tissue. He did not know it, but the universe had left this woman behind in time, the same as it had done to him. Antonio and his twin both had these celestial beads of golden metal laying next to their hearts. They were vestiges of a sliver of reality before the boundaries between the living and the dead had coalesced, and in too high of concentrations, it caused rapid deterioration without death. Antonio carried on, 
searching the bodies of all those he could find, convinced the golden bead would lead to the solution. All it did, as he collected the few available, was to rot his features and corrupt his heart into a dark hole of obsession. Meanwhile, Elias worked across Naples in a slump, treating those he could with poultices and vials of murky liquid. The midday heat beaded sweat across his scarred brow. There was little he could do about it while wearing the beaked mask. Elias packed the front of the mask with an herbal mixture of his own devising. He combined this with flesh shavings of those few who recovered, baked until blackened. The residue held no more plague, and only the tissue of a pure soul. Elias did not know it, but as the herbs opened up his body and allowed the surrounding plague to flow in and out without damaging him, the blackened tissue seared his soul and bound it with death. The more he worked, sweating and pouring the last vestiges of himself into curing his patients, the less humanity he held on to. With the combined efforts and the growing power of the twins, Naples recovered from the pestilence. There was no more need for the unorthodox methods and strange medicine. There was one older than them who had watched from the shadows, and even she was surprised at how quickly the city seized the pair and exercised them. The doctor and the mortician needed to find where the plague had originated, for it could not have possibly been from an organic source. It was finally time for their older sister, Laura, to step from the shadows. She was a hulking, blistered mass of flesh, transformed from her own obsession with the hatred in the hearts of humanity. Her parents had abandoned her when she was young, and tried to have a child who would dance in the light. Instead, they received the twins of darkness. Thus did Laura flounder for years seeking her own answers and finding nothing but loss and hatred. She turned to them, then, and approached each to tell them of their history. The streets held pools of muddy water, and rain flowed in rivers from the edges of the roof. It was just like the night when Antonio had found the first golden bead. It was the same as when he lost the first of his humanity. Laura stepped out of the shadows behind Antonio. He did not notice her. His work held his complete attention. The form in front of him needed a priest, thanks to his knife's razor edge. Antonio needed to see inside, see if they were one of the special ones. He needed to add their golden bead to his collection. It will never help doing it that way. Laura said in a voice as smooth as her body was gnarled. Killing them one by one will never scratch that itch. Antonio spun to look at her, the knife glinting as he held it between them. Who are you? He asked. I am the one from before. I am the first. You are the second. You and your brother. Antonio tilted his head back, a small piece of flesh flecking off in the motion. I have no brother, 
You do, Laura replied. And I am your sister. There are others like you. You are not alone. And together we could finally discover the answers we need. You don't know me. You don't know what I seek. Laura took a small step towards him and saw the knife tremble in Antonio's near skeletal hand. Tell me, she said. They threw me away. So I burned them all. I raised their churches to the ground. The screams are like nectar. They will never push me away again. Nobody will push me away again. This is my world now. At this, Laura smiled. It was small and subtle, but Antonio caught it. And it wasn't enough, was it? She asked. Finally, Antonio lowered the weapon. No, he said. It wasn't. Then let us discover the answer together. Laura offered. And Antonio joined her. Elias poured over a ragged and dog-eared book next to a grimy fireplace. He sat, curled on its corner, because he had no chair and no light, other than the flames by which to read at night. The city had taken his reputation, and with it, his clients had gone off to seek medical attention elsewhere. His joints creaked from remaining in one position for as long as he had, but he was enthralled, gripped by the writings in the book. Paracelsus had penned many notes about his discoveries in medicine, which the church had deemed Index Expurgatorius. When Elias went to find them, they deemed him the same. Only when the plague came was that sentence temporarily revoked. Now that Naples was in recovery, his expertise was no longer required. They had outed him, but his mind had gotten him this far and now he needed to see the inner workings behind Paracelsius's words. The man was a genius, and ahead of his time, regardless of the church's proclamation. There was science hidden inside the witchcraft, he believed. He was a surgeon, and a great one, but he thought that he only did so much, and that magic was the key to his patient's recoveries. Looking at his notes in detail now, Elias saw the recipes and policies for what they were. He saw the ingredients and what they did. It wasn't magic to Elias, just more science. The door from across the fire creaked open, and a form stepped into the dim firelight. Elias, said a feminine voice. Who are you? Elias asked. <laughs> it's funny. Your brother the same thing she replied I am Laura and I am here to offer you a better way to find your answers than squatting in an abandoned home of a plague victim 
and trying to read by firelight. Elias closed the book carefully and stood. I have no brother. You are in rags worse than mine. How is it you can offer me anything? Your obsession is shared. Laura answered. Each of us has our own particular speciality. Together, we will find our answers and we will shatter barriers with it. Will you come with me? Elias looked down at the book in his hand and then back at the disheveled form in front of him. Let's see these specialties, he said, and the two walked off into the night. Centuries flew past while the family of pestilence worked, locked in their laboratories and hidden away from the world. Sometimes they would emerge to test one of their unnatural experiments. And when they did, people drew new monsters into legend. They never stayed long, and even the other beings of extraordinary long life often forgot about the family. Laura studied the psychological effects of their constant inventions. Elias developed ever-changing and improving chemical compounds used to alter minds and bodies alike. Antonio, however, studied the bodies of their failed subjects, and he constantly iterated the process without moral boundaries. The twins and their older sister were bent on seeking discovery after discovery into preserving life, eradicating death, and bridging the gap between the two. At some point their priorities changed, and the obsession took on a life of its own. It drove them as much as they drove themselves, and their experiments became increasingly maniacal. They created dark and twisted things, soulless things, and broken things. The three sat at their tables working for hundreds of years, untouched by time, smiling to themselves at their hideous and twisted creations. On December 21st, 1914, they emerged from the hiding place in the deep and were ready to try something new. Elias wanted real test subjects, not ones handicapped by past experiments. Antonia needed to see how the human body had changed in the years since he'd stepped into the dark. And Laura just wanted to taste the terror. She alone walked again in the sunlight to enjoy the utter horror their creation would wreak upon the psyches of their victims. The Vral siblings slithered out from their dark places, a cloud of black mist trailing in their wake as they moved. Antonio guided them. He knew the dead more than the others and could feel the recently deceased. They came first to a small town in Belgium called Staden. Laura crept up to a brick home near the center of the town and looked in through a foggy glass window. Inside, she saw several men in strange uniforms arguing over a map laid out on a table. They spoke in German, but Laura had made it a point to learn all the languages of the countries surrounding their lair. Laura listened as the men discussed how best to oust the French army from their defensive lines around the town of Ypres. They were German military officers and had failed to take the town during a protracted engagement during the fall. Laura translated the news to her brothers, and together 
they formulated their own plan. The three found a victim of opportunity, whom they killed to acquire modern uniforms. Thus, camouflaged, they spent the next several weeks ingraining themselves within the scientists behind the German lines. Elias had power over chemicals the Germans hadn't yet mastered, and he showed them how to mass-produce and distribute deadly toxins through the air. Finally, the German scientists approached the commander about using chemical weapons against the enemy lines at Ypres. The commander agreed, cementing the virulent family's plans. The Germans thought they could win the battle by distracting the enemy with chemical weapons, but they had no idea of the strength of Elias's craft. Antonio would get his bodies, Elias would get his results, and Laura would get her terror. It had been months, and now the weather was warming. The pressure changed and the temperature was near perfect to spring their trap. The German soldiers released the gas, and just as the three had expected, it floated through the air and over to the French lines. When the first of the screams found their way to Antonio's ears, he grinned a toothy smile. The skin of his borrowed face slid off, and he stripped out of his victim's body, taking up his robe and plucking the golden orb from his empty chest. The master of undeath strode across the battlefield to relish in the newly dead. Seeing his brother shed his disguise, Elias felt the call, too. He pulled at the uniform and it rent from him. He pulled the set of vials from his belt, and popping the small cork and tipping it back, he felt the power and the hunger surge within him. His staff, always near at hand, now flew into his grasp, a winged hourglass on its tip. Elias tapped it once, hard, onto the ground, and a pulsing orb of dull grey light emanated from him. It floated above his head for a moment, until, finally, it descended into the grasp of his other hand. Then, taking the two items, the Master of Decay, too, strode off towards the screams. Finally, Laura pulled the skin of her victim free from her gnarled form. She slipped out of it as a snake sheds its skin. She arched her back, stretching and let out a barbaric screech of gluttonous delirium. Laura's form darkened all around her, and the lives of the men standing too near on the German line dropped dead from terror. She greedily devoured their fleeing souls, and she grew taller. Stepping up to the tanks, holding the last vestiges of the chemicals, she took one clawed hand and tore them to shreds. Laura wanted everything to feel the fear of Elias' creation. At long last, the Mistress of Horror joined her brothers in giving in to their harrowed obsession. The results of that day echoed through the lines of both armies, giving the family reason enough to stay above in the light. They found a new sustenance and a new calling. The world had changed, and in a time of war their kind were worshipped. It would keep them for a time, but as with all things, the war ended, and once more the siblings found themselves adrift in the place that no longer wanted them. They returned to the dark beneath the earth, waiting for the next time someone would need their skills, their craft, and their bitterness. Somewhere in this world, there will always be a home for misery.
This twisted tale was created by an Apollo Plus creator. Apollo Plus is a subscription that lets you listen to your favorite audio fiction series with no ad interruptions while supporting your favorite fiction and horror creators. Shows on Apollo Plus have no ads. They grant early access to new content, offer exclusive episodes and behind-the-scenes clips, season supercuts, and more. And the collection of shows is always growing. 70% of the revenue goes to the creators you love and helps them make their next audio adventure possible. You can support dozens of creators with one subscription. So join Apollo Plus today by downloading the Apollo Podcast app for iOS and Android or by visiting apollopods.com. But don't think that you can escape the horrors.